0: Welcome everyone to this week's safety brief. Today we are focused on a critical aspect of cybersecurity, insider threats. And I am joined by our experts today, Mike and Matt. Thank you again for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Of course. So, let's jump right in. Uh the first question is about common examples of insider threats related to security. What are some scenarios organizations should be aware of and how can they effectively prevent these threats? For me, I feel most assume greed right away when they think of insider threats. However, people seem to trust far too often and this could lead to problems such as social engineering attacks.
1: Yeah, I think with with insider threats, you know, whether it's a end user catching this or a, a CISO or anybody in between. I think there's an implicit sentiment with that phrase that implies maliciousness. That's not always the case, uh, right? Obviously, there could be a disgruntled employee or executive, anybody, right? Like that wants to cause the business or the organization or the small, medium-sized business harm, Uh, but that's not always the case, candidly. You know, insider threats can be uh, well-intended, unintentional. They could be, um, again, not not a targeted, uh, well planned attack. They could be gaps opened, with little to no uh, knowledge of those gaps being opened. They could um, be
2: com- completely accidental. Right. We've seen that. You know, recently we we've, we've seen that. We'll give examples of of a few of those later. But it it doesn't have to be malicious. It can just be somebody putting you know a period in the wrong place and there you go
1: right yeah I mean you know uh, gate guarded communities you got guards at the guard houses right let's say the the gate is no longer working they're not gonna just block potential guests who live there or residents from getting in they're gonna they're gonna open it up they're gonna prioritize accessibility in that way so again another well-intended use of how threats can be opened up or attack surface can be opened up um, well intended, uh, most often that's how attack surface is created. Candidly, you know, we looked at uh, a huge business continuity exercise we all went through uh, two plus years ago, within the scope of a, a pandemic, and people had to figure out how to work from home. People had to figure out how to work from, uh, you know, now their children's classroom, which is their home, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot. It was a lot. And so, what what did we have to sacrifice in the way of security? Uh, to ensure that mom and dad could stay connected and son and daughter could stay educated. Well, you know, we had business uh, assets, sometimes laptops or desktops go home and be dropped into an environment that has far less uh, sanitization, if you will, or hygiene uh, than at the office, you know, and so it's it's multi-use. And so, again, well-intended. We wanted to keep people working, rightfully so, but it's interesting how insider threats could be introduced uh, by well intended and well architected plans to reduce uh, maybe attack surface but maybe unknowingly open some up elsewhere.
0: Matt, anything from you on this?
2: I mean I just I echo what Mike is saying. There's so many so many possible ways that you can open yourself up to accidentally becoming an insider threat it's nothing that you're intentionally trying to do it's just unfortunately you were put into a situation and it became a byproduct of it um i mean let's think about how many people like mike was saying laptop comes home laptop is better than what the kid is playing on when you're at home how often do you lock your computer when you walk away from it I mean, I can, I can tell you from example, my wife, never. I mean, I can walk over there and because she has a Mac, the thing stays open for like 20 minutes if she walks away from it. So you have a kid, kids, you know, singular, plural, well, whatever you have. They don't like their tablet because it's not strong enough to play their games. If they're even remotely inclined and knowledgeable. You could end up with something installed on your machine that you were not aware of. You come back to the machine, they're sitting there playing a game. Well, if that game has any kind of social interaction in it, kids don't really have a filter. (laughs) The first thing you're going to say is, I'm playing on my mommy and daddy's laptop. It's their work one. It's really nice. Oh, well, you know what I'm going to do as a threat actor? I'm going to start probing for information. I mean, there you go. You've got somebody on a laptop that has information. It could be valuable. I'm going to, you know, send an innocuous link and have them go to it. Oh, look at that. Now they've got a Trojan on their machine. Now I don't have to worry about them being in the game. I can just wait until later, hop in there and look around. There you go.
0: It's funny that you bring that up because I remember getting in trouble as a child, getting on my father's laptop and, you know, his... Computers, because he used to build computers when I was growing up. I wanted to play games, because you know my brothers were on the Xbox, or you know things happen. So it's funny that you bring that up. And I mean, I shared a, a meme a while back in our YOLO Bus uh, channel, uh, kind of highlighting the scary fact that even with the latest and greatest cybersecurity um, in place, one end user or insider threat can be the demise of it all. So it's a really important thing to be aware of. So with the increasing trend of remote work, as you stated, Mike, uh, how does this impact the landscape of insider threats in cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the stream is titled to, to guide the conversation. It's by no means uh, uh, restrictive. But, you know, if we're looking at the most attacked vector, uh, those are going to be end users. Uh, they are susceptible not because they lack any intelligence but just because threat actors are really, really good at the skill that they've honed over time of finding emotional, social, mental pressure plates that will initiate a rapid knee-jerk response out of a user. So what do I mean? So if we look at uh, you know email phishing statistics just in the past 12, 24 months or so, uh, there are a lot of new phishing kits that are out there. We, you know, we, we've seen phishing testing. We've conducted phishing testing for our partners. Uh, but specifically, there is one that solicited almost 100% open success rate. And it was the email phishing kit titled Updated Workplace Mask Policy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is this, what are we saying When we say this had like a 85, 90% open rate, it's that we as humans are susceptible to knee jerk responses. Okay. So if you get an email from what seems to be a legitimate sender, you know, that's somebody you're expecting to hear from via email and you get something like that, you're going to open it immediately. Whether you're on the mobile uh, element, if you're on a tablet, if you're commuting uh, or even driving home right? Like, you're not supposed to be on your phone while you're driving. Some people still look and they'll look at the notification and, oh man, I really want to read that email. I'll catch it at the next red light. And it evokes a response. And we are emotional beings. It's it's what it is to be human. So I'm not necessarily demonizing that as much as these threat actors are incredibly crafty at knowing how to initiate a human response to a certain uh, provo- uh, pr- provocation, right? And so... With, it, with end users being the most attacked vector, working from home, you get an email from a coworker, you can't maybe turn to your left or turn to your right and say, did you send this? You know, There's just this instinctual check that would normally take place in the office. Uh, or if, you know, hey, we, we're all grabbing lunch at the same time and you hear about this HR survey that's coming out, all right, I've been talking about it, everybody else is expecting it, whatever. So when that lands in your mailbox, you're expecting it. There is, there's less connection and communication now with remote workforces, specifically those that are distributed. Maybe they've got multiple sites, multiple offices. So people are uh, maybe less uh, in tune with validating the information that they're getting. Now let's trans- translate this really quick to an incredibly relevant topic that I'm sure everybody uh, that is maybe watching this on various platforms but is in cybersecurity knows this whole MGM debacle in the past two weeks. How did this happen? We're not going to unpack it fully. This isn't going to be an exhaustive uh, deep dive into the you know what could have beens and what ifs. But there was a, a well-intended IT support technician who received a phone call that sounded to be legitimate. And this was an end user or executive or whoever it was in need of support. So what do we have immediately? We have pain. Pain being articulated to uh, a person whose role it is to eliminate that technical pain. As a, as a help desk analyst, that is their job. That is what they find fulfillment in doing. That's what they're skilled at doing. And they are well-intended. So, oh, yeah, I'm absolutely going to help you get back to work. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to eliminate technology as a barrier. Mm-hmm. But, again, we go back to the example about the email coming in at the office. The validation of that. Uh, is that user legitimate? You know, we, we, we call into our bank, or even if you make an online e-commerce, e-commerce purchase, Okay, if you call to even inquire about your order, they're going to they're validate some information to authorize you and make sure that your identity is exactly who you're saying you are. right? So how do we translate this? Well, if you're watching and you're in any form of IT support role, how quick are we going to pick up the phone or even a sales role? We'll play that note, right? You just You're going to take pride on picking up the phone and being available. What measures do we take to validate the identity of the person on the other line? Now, we have email controls in place that do some of this. They'll look at the sender receipt, uh, the, the sender address, is the reply to different than the sending email address, things of that nature. But we have tools in place to do that. To my knowledge, uh, there are very few far-between tools that will do this on the phone, whether it's at work with a VoIP phone or uh, you know a soft phone or on, on our own personal phones. Now, I know like certain brands and platforms have spam filtering and... Uh, you know, but now we're seeing this evolve into text message, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if the phones are being filtered, the, the calls are being filtered from a malicious number, what if I could just craft a text message in such a way that I don't even have to look right, but in the preview screen on my mobile device, it's enough to, to hit a pressure plate, to provoke an end user, to make an action that may or may not open up a gap. And this is where we have insider threats come to, come to fruition. It's, it's, it's always, most often non-intentional, a quick knee-jerk reaction that is well-intended to to help or to resolve an issue, right? And so I think that's where we start seeing uh, distributed workforces as as exhibit A. We have, uh, you know, an urgency to be responsive, especially when we're distributed, right? If somebody reaches out to you and, hey, I'm checking in. You don't want to sit on that for an hour when you're, you know, remote workforce. You don't want to appear as if you're apathetic or maybe not working uh right you want to be johnny on the spot you want to respond to that rightfully so and so this is some things that again the the employee are all well intended in but the threat actor is going to seek to exploit and that's kind of the whole purpose of the safety brief is to educate those watching on on these things to think as a threat actor thinks uh to you know put yourself in the enemy's shoes and what are they going to do to seek, destroy, exploit and and escalate privilege. And and we're seeing a lot of that through email, uh, phone, phishing, uh, vishing rather, as well as text uh, rapidly on the rise.
0: When you speak of education, user training and even awareness, like you said, letting them know that this is going to be coming through your email or this is coming up, that's a huge role in, you know, mitigating these risks. Could you elaborate on um, what elements should be included in training programs to effectively combat these uh, threats?
1: I could definitely expound, and Matt, I'd be here uh, curious to hear what you have to say on this. But I think in the training programs, you know, in the, the Marine Corps we talk about, you know, you you, you train like you fight. Mm-hmm. It needs to simulate real time. It needs to simulate uh, real situations. So what does that mean? So we're we're currently crafting a couple of fishing kits for a partner. Uh, but we're not informing the users that this is taking place. Okay, So, again, how do we simulate as real of a training exercise as possible for the users that are uh, seeking education or we're seeking to educate? Uh, it needs to be real life. Okay, So we need to make sure that in our email spam filtering rules, we're allowing these test kits to go through. Otherwise, they're never going to be subjected to these tests in the first place. You know, Your email spam filter could be so good. Your test kits never make it through. It seems obvious, but you'd be surprised. Um, the second piece, I think, is also making sure it's a blind test. We're, we're specifically talking about email. The end users can't be suspect or uh, knowing that the testing is taking place. Otherwise, you, know, you tip it off and they can get lucky. Uh, but I also think that there's a there's an important piece to duration. You know, if you if you choose the same four-week period every year to train people, uh, then they're gonna they're gonna become i mean people are intelligent they they understand that pattern over time, and so no different than if you're in school growing up and you're getting a fire drill you know and your teacher secretly hey guys we're gonna we're gonna have a fire drill you know later today right <laughs> we're not supposed to tell anybody but we want to be the first ones outside so we look at it right so what have we done we've 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 actually thwarted uh the efficacy of the test a little bit right because it's not real life it's not you don't get a heads up there's gonna be a fire and so uh i think it's just maintaining setting the fire uh, it's a valid point uh but for most of our viewers i don't think anyone's starting fires but to the point of the user uh it could happen anytime it could happen anytime there could be a phishing kit that lands in a, a mailbox you could get a phone call uh at, a, at the worst possible time you're on the way to the hospital with a family member your kids getting uh, picked up from school early because they got injured something right but the, in our least susceptible times we need to maintain that vigilance and so if we try and recreate as real life of a training simulation as possible then again it becomes second nature when a situation happens and that's why train train like you fight is a, is a thing, right? Because when, when you're in the middle of a situation, whether it's obviously combat related or it's uh, incident response related or your training kicks in when that fight or flight, uh, you know, instinct kicks in. And so you're going to resolve to your training. That, that's what's going to immediately take over with your problem solving, your decision making. And so I think, again, making a real intentional effort to um, simulate a real time uh, example for end users, you know, and I, there's even phishing tests now that do text messages, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's super valid. I think that's cutting edge because I think, again, uh, it's kind of a catch-22. The better your spam filter is, the less phishing your users will see. So they they become less trained, you know, becomes a little bit easier. It's almost like self-driving at some point. We're all going to be really bad at driving. <laughs> so if we have something doing it for us. And so, again, maintaining a real live training simulation Uh, creating diversions in the uh, frequency uh, so it's not the same time, the same place, the same season of year, and uh, obviously diversifying the, the forms of tests, whether that's a password complexity test or a phishing test or whatever it could be. I think those are some good starting points.
2: So I will throw this out there. You talked about users knowing when the testing was occurring. Okay. I worked at a relatively large endpoint vendor a number of years ago. Not my not not where I was before I joined Blockworks, but way before that. It was not uncommon that we would be given a heads up that there would be phishing testing that was going on. Now, I'm not saying that the people that I worked with needed the heads up but they needed the heads up because they clicked on every damn thing that you could ever like see. It it was bad. Like that shouldn't happen. You should not have to give people a heads up that they are going to be (laughs) tested on their fishing because they repeatedly click on things. There should be a three strike rule. You know, after you reach three strikes, you're given a Commodore 64 and that's what you're allowed to work on from that point forward. (laughs) You need to use Microsoft word, figure out a way to make it run. Have fun. You are now going to be much safer for the company. You're not going to have any risks. But they, it was a regularly occurring thing. Now, I also worked, uh, you know, in my prior role with a company that did ongoing phishing testing. The security team was pretty amazing when it came to, you know, what they did. They never told anybody that it was coming they would send emails out that honestly looked legitimate and the goal was to see you know how many people they could catch there was no penalty if you know if if they caught you with it it was education it was to show you the differences in how these things could be sent. so you know there's there's different ways to actually look at how you do that but if people want to understand how phishing actually works and understand what goes into crafting a fishing campaign, I'm going to need you to get on GitHub and look for a thing called PyFisher. You can run and simulate your own phishing campaign to see what exactly it looks like, what goes into it, the process that, that they're doing, what you can include in the kit. That's one of the best ways you're going to learn. Getting the simulated emails is great. But when you start to get enough of them, you notice a pattern. You notice the keywords that they're putting in there. You notice how they're wording things because it's always somebody that's writing it. The writing style isn't going to change. Now, they could start using ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT to you know, create it, a phishing email or create the content of a phishing email sometimes it'll do it sometimes it'll chastise you and say you're a terrible human being for asking me to do this but <laughs> you know it just depends on what mood it's in that day that's right um but there there are i mean i don't know it it just it it boggles me that there are still in this day and age people that will click on an email from somebody they don't know that has a link in it i mean we're told don't take candy from strangers right Don't talk to strangers. Don't associate with strangers. Run away. Stranger danger. That's the same approach we should take to our email. That's the same approach you should take when you get a phone call. I'm not going to lie. If my phone rings and it's a number that doesn't have a name associated with it, it goes to voicemail. I'm not answering you. I don't care who you are. You could be the president. You're getting voicemailed. Text me. Leave a message. I'll think about calling you back. Those that need to get in touch with me, have given me their number ahead of time, it's saved, and I know who's calling me. Those are steps you can take to help keep yourself safe. If you don't know who it is, don't give them any information. If the first thing they do is ask you, uh, what year did you graduate high school? Man, just hang up, okay? Just hang up. If they ask your dog's name, hang up. If they're so brazen to say, what's your grandmother's maiden name or your mother's maiden name? Dude, there's no saving you if you give them an answer to that i'm sorry but these are things you got to look for people are gonna drop these kinds of things into conversations with you they're trying to get the information the best one that i've seen people putting up all of these stupid polls on facebook what's your favorite food what's your favorite color do you guys not realize those are the same questions that almost every banking institution is asking you for as a security question? Yeah. And you're just over here sharing it on Facebook trying to show how cool you are. Yeah. That no. No.
0: It's good to think that anything like that is a form of recon, you know, they're, they're trying to gain that information. And I love that you brought up, you know, uh, social media and like your phone numbers and stuff, because I feel like social media is a huge role that made everyone think like, oh, someone's calling me, I have to answer. Someone sent me a friend request, I have to approve it. For me, yeah. I am very strict on who is allowed to follow me, who's allowed yeah. to see anything on my profile and if I even have a profile file on certain you know, platforms. So, I think, you know, even on a personal level, rather than, you know, corporate, you really have to think on what information you're putting out there and how you're putting it out there. So, I love that you brought that up. And I actually worked somewhere as well who had a phishing campaign, gave out warnings. Um, and like you said, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, gave out warnings. So, everyone knew it was coming on that day. It wasn't a week, it wasn't a three day period. It was oh, good Lord, they broke it down to coming. the day. Yes, it was there's an email coming this day and I, I'm not going to name names or you know companies but someone next to me said, "Ah, oh, I got an email and I'm not sure who it's from, but I think I should open it." And me, you know, having a little bit more education, I told her, you know, "Hey, we have these, you know, campaigns coming in. I wouldn't touch it. Like yeah. just just don't touch it. If it's important, it'll come again or someone will bring it up. Don't yeah. even worry about it." And what did she do? She opened it. And To my surprise, there was no markup. There was no, you know, any kind of talk or anything. It was just like another number added for them to count. Um, And another surprise was there was no education. There was no video. There was no why did you click on this? It was just she clicked on it. That's it done and over. So for me, I think if you're even going to go and, you know, take the time to send out these campaigns, number one, like Mike said, don't give a warning. Make it like a live fire. And number two, have a plan of action on what you're going to do when these, you know, campaigns are clicked on or when more education is needed. Because if someone's aware that this is happening and still had the urge to click on that email, there's some major, you know, learning gaps that need to be brought up. There's some major things that need to be taught to your end users.
2: There's something that I think has to be shared right now. We're going to see if this actually works, okay? All right. Mike, you were talking about all of the security that you had, you know, in place. You were talking about how you can have all of the security. All right. Here you go. Here is all of your security right here. In this corner, we have all your firewalls, your encryption, your AV software. You have your DLP solution. You have everything you could possibly want. Over here is Dave. Which one do you think is going to win? at the end of the day so
1: that's profound because (laughs) uh it is it is comics man i tell you (laughs) that it's in a profound way of communicating messages but the reality for cybersecurity implementers today is you can have millions (laughs) of dollars of security controls perfectly implemented in place um and this is why we've reached the most attacked vector is is the user Uh,
2: elizabeth needs uh, to share her picture yeah. Yeah, the, really end user, the end user. That being that hard is to... that is MGM right there. Like one hundred percent that is MGM.
0: That's the meme I was I brought up earlier. I actually yeah. tried sharing prior to going live, but for some reason mine wouldn't share. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: No, it's me... it's incredible. Get it. Give me a second here.
0: But yeah, this is the the photo With that you... I was. Speaking one more about. show
2: and tell for you guys <laughs> because I if this actually This outlines everything that happened with MGM in a nutshell. All right. You've got change the M to B because it's a multi-billion corporate cybersecurity spending budget that they theoretically could have with how much money they bring in. All this suit of armor, all this protection. And then you have one user with local admin rights that opens an email attachment, which is the arrow that goes in the only only perceptible yep. vulnerability that you could ever find on that pseudo armor. Yeah. Yep. That's that's kind but of but it how cascades,
1: it works. right? You know, really like does. at the range, you go to the range, it's uh, aim small, miss small. You know, if mm-hmm. you aim for something the size of a penny and you miss, you're you're still within a tight group. You know, if you're aiming for something that's five six feet in height or width or diameter or whatever big target, you're gonna miss. You're gonna miss large. And so, what we see with these threat actors is. They, they craft these campaigns incredibly specific to the logos, the branding, the white labeling because I could just go to any website, copy paste, and throw into a, an email uh-huh. template pretty easily. But this comes back to where we we talked to and alluded to earlier in the, the discussion today about OSINT, open source technology, and where or open source information, where uh, most, if not all people post on social media thinking that it's solely their followers or solely people they know that have access to this information, but I can't tell you what a what a, a bedrock of OSINT that LinkedIn is uh, for information, oh, because if I see your title, your company, your coworkers, your first name, last name, your photo, and all these things, and I, I, I love and shout out everybody on LinkedIn that calls attention to their family or their significant others, but all it takes is a copy-pasted photo of a significant other or someone you care about into an image that looks like a potential police report That says there's been an accident A car crash uh-huh. They put in that photo This is the, uh, the last known photo of the, the victim And you're going to be reading this In such a way that you are uh, you, you have an adrenaline dump Okay, And we just need to be honest About our human condition That judgment sometimes uh, wavers In that fight or flight scenario And so just to be conscientious Of, of, of what you're sharing online i can't think of the last time i posted a photo of my children or my wife candidly on social media i think it's really just been like internally with coworkers or like sms that's encrypted back and forth mm-hmm. I-, I can't think of the last time i posted to social media why because again it's anything i'm putting out there into the public channel can and will be used at some point for a targeted attack and, and can i throw just- some
2: nightmare fuel out there
1: you can, but again, this is this is meant to educate, right? So it's it like... is.
2: This is an educational nightmare fuel scenario. <laughs> uh, so everybody, and you're talking about LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah. is awesome. I use it all the time. I'm on there regularly, posting stuff. Like you, I don't post crap about anything for my family. That is a topic that is off limits for me to post on LinkedIn. A lot of people say, "Well, it brings the it brings a more you know." rounded aspect. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You have fun with that. I'm not doing it. I will be the emotionless robot on LinkedIn. (laughs) Deal with it. But why do I do that? Most people, when they sign up for LinkedIn, they're not using their company email address. They're using their personal email address. So you're signed up for LinkedIn. That's great. All I have to do is go on LinkedIn and there's a spot on there where it says contact you can find that email. It's very readily available for you. Now, all I do is I take that personal email address. Most people are using Gmail. Fantastic. There is actually a lovely utility. Again, it's in Python that I can go over. I can toss that email in there and I can find every account that you have that is associated with that email address even more fun if you happen to have an instagram account there's linked link to that i can download every image that you've posted i can download every story you've posted every video you've posted you do not have to have permission to go in there and see their account you can pull everything the api is not secure so you're talking about how it's you know there's plenty of ways to get fuel to be able to do deep fakes to be able to exploit the emotional vulnerabilities that we as humans inherently have right there you go that's the easiest way and it is something that is very commonly leveraged
1: yeah and to give to give users listening to this an example you know let's say you and your son or daughter have soccer soccer practice soccer games every saturday okay so you're on twitter instagram snapchat whatever whatever you're on and you're checking into that location and posting at that location at the same time every week well guess what all i have to do is craft a kit that says uh coach feedback needed on next season's jerseys i craft Mm -hmm. a kit i send it to you saturday night as soon as the game's over and you're like oh great you know this looks great let me go ahead and sign up the game's just the the game that just won the game and you know i'm on top of the world because my son or daughter did good and right so i click it click it click it username password boom I don't even know what I did. And then, like, after the game, we're just talking. And we're was like, hey, coach, I'm glad you sent the, the uniform sign-up sheet out. And he's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I've been coaching the whole game. And nobody connects that it makes no sense that that email came in at the same time that that event was taking place. But it's like uh, – and then you just sit there, and it's also like helpless sink, uh, helpless sinking feeling. Uh, that you may have very much uh, given access to something that you,
2: you didn't know, right? See, what happened there was the coach set it up to where he crafted the email send. and used it, used yeah. Outlook's ability to send later yeah. just to mess with your mind. Yeah, no, the coach isn't going to yeah. do that.
1: But again, the point of that topic being brought up for me is a lot of this can be warded away with common sense. Just a second set of, of thought or validation you know, Matt. Earlier, you talked about you know your significant other or somebody in your family texting you or calling you. You see the contact. Well, you know, we have SIM swapping now as a mm-hmm. as an incredibly uh, common, more common than people think. You know, I st- I think I still think SIM swapping right now is people's like, eh, it don't ever happen to me. You know, but as more phones go to strictly limited to SIM like eSIM, where it's easier mm-hmm. to masquerade, they don't need a physical SIM card in their phone or a physical token from their carrier to validate that that's their number it's easier to impersonate it and is. so uh if i get a text message from my significant other uh you know what what level of suspicion am i gonna have if it shows right? up green I, a whole lot of I'm suspicion a, well, I'm right. but, <laughs> but again there's small indications like that correct that's good uh from like an apple to android user but again mm-hmm. there's we we in a zero trust model We need to assume that the attack can come from anywhere, at any point, from anyone, even trusted contacts. And so, you know, because again, we look at what we see as insider threats constantly happening as a a person of position or authority at an organization, their account is compromised. And they have, Mm -hmm. they have, um, Uh, how do you say, influence in the organization. They have uh, power, they have jurisdiction to send emails out, request tasks of people. And so that's why you're seeing left and right these business email compromises that an email came from a C-level exec or a director level to administrative assistant, associate, analyst, end user help desk, whatever it is. Hey, in a meeting, need you to wire this money, need you to purchase this thing to this person as soon as possible, very urgent. Who, like percentage-wise, let's just be candid here. We're going to exercise some candor. Who is going to say, hold on, boss man, boss lady, whoever it is, supervisor, can you please validate this, this, and that? Not many would have the gusto to do that. But what are we doing when we – and it seems like questioning, and it's not. It's validation. It's, right? so again, no different than what the bank does when you call, no different than you know, whoever it is that you're calling. There is importance in taking two minutes or less, 120 seconds, to just validate any request you're being given or uh, information you're being passed. And that could be a physical, hey, does this sound right? Even just turn to your person at home. Okay, so if that's like, if you're at home, you're working remotely and it's just a significant other, hey, does this sound right? Because again, it's two heads are better than one. Does this sound right? Does this sound like something? Have you ever seen anything like this before? Right. So no one's going to get fired for not responding in 30 seconds. Okay, so I'm talking up to 120 seconds. Execute some judgment. Let the cloud, the clouded uh, maybe fog of war kind of fade and just exercise some caution, because if it it doesn't smell right, doesn't look right. It may not be right. And whether that's your cousin in Nigeria or Kazakhstan emailing you about your gold inheritance that you're now entitled to or, you know, your coworker asking you to purchase lunch for the team at this link. Hey, can you process lunch for the team on this Grubhub order? You know, it's grubhub.co, not com, <laughs> right? And it's just, again, looking at this stuff and just exercising. My, my recommendation is 120 seconds of common sense can go a long way and save millions. I'm not even mincing words. Millions. But we just need to have the discipline to know that that is, you know, you're protecting your own job, your own company when you do that. And uh, it needs to be more common.
2: Other thing that I would I would recommend is when and when we have a large scale security incident that occurs, the number one thing that I see is everybody and their brother, their cousin, their uncle, their relative that they haven't seen in 45 years comes out trying to sell you on something about how they have the solution to all your problems. They don't. When the MGM thing occurred, the first thing I saw was everybody coming out saying, well, if you were using our zero trust solution, this wouldn't have happened. That's a load of crap. What's the number one way to get around zero trust? Social engineering. That's exactly what was done. Social engineering. So what you're telling me is using your solution that is zero trust based, that is known to have a weakness to social engineering is going to prevent the exact <laughs> thing that just exploited it. Okay. Okay. Great. I'm tracking you. That's a terrible pitch. That's the equivalence of chasing an ambulance after an accident. Good job. What you need to do when an incident like this happens? Step away. Focus on what's important. Don't focus too much on new products, changing anything, etc. Wait until you have all the details. Those details are going to tell you what happened how it happened, why it happened. Every attack is going to be different. The motivation is going to be different. The methodology that they use to get in and do things is going to be different. What worked for the MGM attack is probably not going to work for a mom and pop shop. It's going to be completely different, completely out there. You have to take the time to weigh all of the information before you jump in and say, oh, my God, we should buy this right now. No, no, you don't need to. And if anybody says, but wait, there's more as part of the sales pitch, just run away. Run away.
1: You do need to be wary of those sales pitches in times of pain. And again, it comes back to ensuring that you're under a, a train of thought where judgment is intact. You know, and again, no different than the the employee getting the text or the email from their superior asking them in a pinch, super urgent. What are they trying to do? They're meant to create, they're trying to create pressure, okay? They're trying to create pressure, which lowers judgment, heightens response time and urgency, okay? So especially, even more so, whenever you're given an urgent request, you could be a technician at a help desk, give an urgent request, please disable AV agent, desktop 235, User can't work. Immediate response: Oh, there's pain. Again, no different. There's pain. I need to resolve. Go in, disable. But again, validate. Pick up the phone. The realistic phone. response 120 is 120
2: seconds or less. They already aren't working. Them not working for another five minutes is yeah. not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and and what does
1: that phone call look like? You know, again, a, a lot of this could be nice. Uh, Platitudes, but what is it? Let's unpack that. What does that actually look like? You know, hey, sir, ma'am, if that's your superior, if you're an end user support desk, you know, communicating with a user. Hey, I'm totally tracking the request that you sent. I understand the urgency behind it. I just need to validate a couple things to ensure that I don't cause unintentional harm, insider threat, mm-hmm. by fulfilling this request for you, whether it's the AV agent, whether it's the wire the money. Can you please validate that you sent this email to me at this time? 30 seconds of dialogue 60 seconds of back and forth you're still resolving this in 120 seconds oh they're in a meeting they can't talk again risk well then reward, it doesn't right? need to be resolved risk I mean, reward that's, right that's so where most that's things can wait 30 minutes most exactly things. i'm not saying all things right i've i've, I've worked in a the, the trading vertical in, in it support that's a high stakes high high speed uh kind of environment but you know for most things um 120 seconds of validation again even if it's peer review hey i got this email from from jim or barbara or whatever does this sound right are they actually in a meeting right now it says they're in a meeting right now where are they they're in barbados they're on travel like they're not in a meeting right Uh so it's like again a second set of validation get a second set of eyes nobody's gonna think less of you no one's gonna again what are you doing you're protecting your job protecting the company's reputation and all the fallout that can ensue after the fact um But yeah, you know, again, 120 seconds of a little common sense, apply that to a a well-intended conversation to validate, and um, it could go a long way. Go a long way. So
2: let's build on that. Recently, there was a report of a company that fell victim—not MGM, somebody else. MGM is always the top of the news, but there's (laughs) others that get impacted, you know, because they're not a multi-billion-dollar conglomerate, right? The the company was impacted by vishing. They said that they were successful because the user called in and actually created a deep fake to sound like the CEO. The person on the help desk apparently was familiar enough with talking with the CEO that they didn't think anything of it. Yep. Vocal patterns were, you know, they matched up, obviously. Sure. The... Mannerisms that they were using in the conversation matched up. Right. So they went ahead and provided the request for, you know, fake CEO. Yep. Fake CEO then went in and ransomed the entire environment. How hard would it be to say, I understand what your request is. Let me put you on hold for a moment and I'm going to validate this on an alternate contact method. Yep. Put them on hold, call yep. their cell phone. Yeah. Call their work phone. Call any number that you want that they have in an internal directory that somebody's not going to have access to. Yeah. If they say, Oh, you don't need to do that, guess what? You don't need to provide a a action to the response.
1: (laughs) I don't need to fulfill the request. Exactly.
2: Yeah. I mean, it can wait. If you can't validate, then you don't need to have it done. That's just the, the long and short of it. Human validation is something that we talked about last week or Uh, last episode yeah if you don't have that human validation what's the point of having all of these processes in place you may as well just have automation where if anybody anywhere asks for anything it gets done
1: yeah i mean mean, even if you think about tsa going through the airport okay it's one of one of the most most secure right we'll,
2: we'll use that word
1: one of the most secure places <laughs> to traverse through, or even customs, you know, coming into the country, out of the country, Package whatever. may end up There's,
2: lighter depending uh, on which yeah, port you're
1: Yeah, to. right. <laughs> but, uh, but what are you doing? Uh, I have a physical token. That is my, yep. my boarding pass, either electronically or in a paper form that I picked up at the, the check-in counter. I present that. There is a reason there are not just kiosks at the security checkpoints. If That's there true. were, we can automate everything. Now, are they using automation to validate that board? Yes, it's a two-factor validation. They're scanning your boarding pass. They're looking at your ID. They're looking at you. They're looking back at your boarding pass, validating the name, and passing it on. This is automation with human validation in its finest form. People say, well, no, I just I, I take security tools, and I deploy them, and they're sufficient on their own. It's not the case in the most secure places in this world, so how could you think that tools are automation alone? You think the, the $5 per machine thing you bought on a Google ad is more secure than... I'm not saying TSA is impeccable, but I'm saying they're doing something right. There's something to emulate here. And so the automation... went ahead and
2: made sure that my toothpaste was the proper size when I went through. So (laughs) obviously they're being pretty thorough.
1: Reducing the risk. It's all risk reduction, right? Nothing's perfect, you know? Uh, But again, there's risk reduction in that. And so Mm -hmm. the automation and validation piece is important because not just is this emulated through other secure spaces we've seen tangibly, but... You know, you look at cyber insurance forms, you look at uh, compliance frameworks now that are not just asking if certain tools are in place, they're asking if the tools are in place, professionally managed and monitored. And that is something we didn't see three, four, five years ago, right? So like on the forms, you know, on the questionnaires, if you will, to, to seek coverage, it was, do you have AV? Yes, no. Checkbox. Right. There was no validation or proof you had now to provide. It was a yeah. lot more detailed. Right. And now it's the more, you know, two years ago, it was do you have EDR? Oh. A new, a new three-letter acronym. Yes, I do. Now it's insurance companies are candidly saying, I'm still paying out on claims where people have said they have AV and they said they have EDR. So what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to increase the scrutiny to uh, ensure that they can still run a profitable business as anybody needs to. But again, the point is is that it, the key is automation and human validation. At the end of the day, the end user was hired Because they are incredibly talented, skilled in their God gift in calling to that job, ultimately. For most people, it's a generalization. But for most people, uh, Jim is a plumber because that's what he's incredibly talented at. I have no aspirations to do plumbing, and I would do a terrible job at plumbing. Right? It would be big problems. Why? Because that's his gifting or her gifting, whoever's in there. To ask them to become a cybersecurity expert is unrealistic. Can we educate people? Absolutely. 100%. And I'm not undermining that point. But at certain limits we have to not demonize the users, but rather be better about the the controls we deploy. And how does that happen? Automation with human validation. You get best in breed, endpoint, edge, cloud, email security tools that are doing the right things. But we also need eyes on glass to be that TSA agent, to look at that boarding pass, scan it, validate it, look at who's in front of me, and then allow them through. Because otherwise, you know, again, it's it's all risk reduction. So um For end users listening, you know, the takeaway is there's a long, there's a lot of value that can come from taking 120 seconds to slow down and examine the request or the text or the call that you're getting. Um, You know, for CISOs and those responsible for implementing controls, uh, there are a certain level of realistic expectations you can have on end users. Most certainly educate, most certainly instill confidence in, but also maintain expectations. There are certain controls that will supersede the end user, but how do we catch that? And This is where defense in depth and other good things come in that you have overlapping controls to catch that. But yeah, it's it's a hot topic right now because again, you look at MGM, you look at any of these organizations, they are number one, not without money, and not without security. And if, and okay. if they could be compromised, it ought to inform, not through FUD, not trying to put in fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but it ought to inform Others to say, how am I leveraging security today, and how can I learn from? It'll be somebody else in three weeks, whatever event. But how can I learn from this, reduce my risk, and just take a nugget of wisdom from this event, and you know, turn it into a winning and learning moment.
0: I'm glad. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to close it out, so you're good.
2: (laughs) Well, I wanted to take a couple moments and kind of. uh go over some recent developments that we've actually had in cyber um, pertaining to threat groups and also a oops that we could add as the blooper of the week so we'll start with blooper of the week and i'm so sorry for microsoft like you guys have had Possibly the worst <laughs> year that I've ever seen. Okay. Your signing keys get stolen. All kinds of stuff goes out there. And then what do you do? You dump 38 terabytes of internal information to a public drive.
1: That's a true story. <laughs> that that is just,
2: that's a true you story. You can't make this up. It had internal signing keys, internal conversations, uh, all kinds of other stuff. And then before that, what happens to them? a court hearing that Microsoft has ends up getting flagged as public. Not only does this, you know, go public, but it talks about future IP of the company in the court case. Games they're developing, new controllers they're developing, the new console they're developing. Hmm. Like, Microsoft has not had a good year. Yeah. All right? The 38 terabyte dump, that's just the cherry on top of the cake. I'm sorry. That, that should never happen. Again, validation before you hit publish. There you go. Now, the other one that's less happy, there was a poll sent out after the MGM situation because MGM still has not paid the ransom. MGM is still down. MGM is still trying to rebuild all of their stuff. Uh, Spoiler, ain't going to happen. They are in a world of hurt right now. Because of this, Lockbit, which is the most prevalent ransom group that is out there, sent out a poll to their members. Err, I'm sorry, not members, associates, as they call them. Their associates were asked what method they would support in the future, as far as how to handle ransom. Well, one of the uh, one of the team, I can't remember what it is. Um, it's an it's an affiliate of theirs came back instantly and responded that they would be using the second option. The second option states that they will look at the total revenue of the company over the last year. The minimum ransom payment will be 3% of that total revenue of the company or the maximum payout for their ransomware insurance if they have ransomware insurance. Now this gets a little bit worse. They added a little caveat to the end here. If they do not receive what they are asking for in terms of payment, there is no negotiation. All your stuff is gone. They said that they will no longer hold the data. They will delete the data. They will then nuke every one of the hard drives that they have the ransomware on. Think about that. No more. Well, we'll give you a discount so you can get your data back. It's you pay, or you better hope you have a really good backup solution because you're going to need it to rebuild your entire environment. Right. This means catastrophic reputation damage, catastrophic financial damage. They're not going to be targeting, you know, Joe, Dave, Mary, Sue, their basic machines. They're going to be targeting critical infrastructure for you.
1: Which fun fact on cyber insurance, like on cyber insurance policies or cyber liability coverage, there is a, a specific. There's buckets, effectively, right? So this is. I'm not an insurance agent. So any insurance agents watching this, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you are the master of your court. I'm not. But specifically, I know that there are buckets where up to eighty thousand for forensic coverage, up to two hundred fifty thousand in ransomware coverage, mm-hmm. up to fifty five thousand in media retention coverage. So like just communicating and getting PR and getting newsletters sent and notifications to internal partners and customers who may have received an email. But here's the catch. That policy caps out at a certain amount. Uh-huh. So a lot of people look and look at review this policy and they see I have 50,000 for forensics uh, or 80,000 for forensics, 250k for ransomware. It could max out at 300k. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of people, I just encourage, review your cyber liability coverage, look at those policies, understand what you have been sold and you have purchased so that you understand where your gap is. Again, this isn't knocking insurance, but it's just another educational note. Read and understand your coverages because everything Matt is talking about, they are crafting in such a way to perpetuate and create pain. Discomfort. Yeah. So if backups are your your safety net, they're going to look at how to burn those. If your insurance payout is going to be your safety net, they're looking at how to burn those. And so just be wary of that um, as you all navigate, whether it's reviewing, you know, you could be responsible for procuring the coverage. You could be an insurance broker and understand, that, hey, you know, this actually makes sense. I understand how this translates to the people that this applies to and these policies are uh, covering. But that is, you know, these threat actors know what they're doing. It is their nine to five. It is their business. It's their breadwinning role. They're bringing home food to their families and and paying their own bills with this role. Make no mistake. Um, Yeah.
2: So how do we bring that back to a place where you don't have as much to worry about, where you can have peace of mind? You can have sanity back. Well, I can tell you this. The first thing is not sitting there and looking at people saying they just scored 100 percent on the miter you know, attack test. Cool. You scored 100% on a test where they tell you exactly what they're testing for. If you don't get 100%, you don't need to be in the business at all. What you need to do is you need to stop relying on detection. I've, had, I've seen people ever since this MGM thing where they've come up and they've said, well, we've bolstered our detection. Okay. I'm, I'm proud of you. You now have better notifications that you are about to get completely screwed by somebody in your environment what is it doing to prevent that in the first place nothing okay so you're just going to rely on the, the canary over here to say well it looks like we're about to die in this mineshaft it's been nice knowing you I, I mean personally i would rather have something that yells and says hey this thing tried to get in um we knocked it unconscious at the door. I would, I would much rather have that in my security stack. So I have that peace of mind knowing, Hey, the unknown stuff that's floating around out there is going to get prevented.
0: Well, even at our, Oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, even at our new home, um, you know, obviously it came with fire detectors, but Mm -hmm. as soon as we moved in and we, you know, installed our ADT security and all that stuff, we looked at fire detection that actually took action. Obviously, it's not going to prevent the fire, but it's going to prevent further damage. If we're not home or if we're asleep, not only does it go off, but it also notifies nearby um, police stations and fire stations. So it takes that's, some sort of yeah. action, whether it's automation, you know, validation.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's whether, that's <laughs> that yeah.
0: And it's wonderful um, to have that peace of mind to know that some type of action is being taken if i don't have my phone if i'm not looking at you know anything that's being detected at that moment if you don't have 24 hours sock to look at this stuff there's some type of action going on and i think that's really important i'm glad even, we were able sorry go ahead
2: i was going to say even if you have a 24 hour sock if you're running something that's only detection based you're going to be getting hammered with any sort of notifications your alert fatigue is going to be off the charts that's not a way to operate and the more alerts you have coming in the more fatigued your your engineers are the more chance they're going to see something and go we've seen that before it's it's not worth you know investigating and guess what that's the time that somebody was leveraging an attack that got in and now you have what we like to call a resume generating event right
0: well and that you know touches the topics that we touched um not last week, but the the last safety brief, like you said, with the human validation, talking about that alert fatigue, talking about how we customize each policy for every environment and how we validate alerts. So we're not sending every single alert to our customers or our clients to look into. There's no alert fatigue there for our clients. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad we were able to touch on some case studies and some things that have been going on um, recently, just to give a, a, an idea of how one person clicking on one thing or giving out the wrong information without validating or you know taking that 130 seconds like mike said can be you know the difference between working the next day or not right. you know it, it can be a huge difference so in user education and you know taking the time to put in plans for this type of thing is really important so absolutely well, thank you both for sharing your expertise and insights with us today. This has been an incredible, inform- informative uh, session on insider threats this week for the safety brief. Uh, if any of our viewers have any questions or would like to continue the conversation, please feel free to leave a comment below and we'll be happy to you know, reach out to you or respond in the comment section. Well, until next time, stay informed and stay frosty. Thanks, everybody.